I, uh, I must, this will be the last time I've got a microphone on and the last time uh, at this camp that I'll have everyone's attention um, because I'll be busy, uh, you know, basically crushing it at cornhole. Yeah. And so does uh, skill. Yeah. Or never mind. Anyway. Uh, just wanted to say what a pleasure it's been, and uh, thanks uh, to Pastor Dwayne for asking me to speak again at camp. Um, like you all very much. I hope this is a, a very memorable time for you. It is for me. And the reason you're here is uh, was printed on your T-shirts that we were all wearing yesterday because you are the next generation. We have uh, high hopes for you and great concerns and also feel very responsible. Not just the, the people here who are at camp, the adults at camp, but also your pastors and parents and uh, your fellow congregants back home. So you have a big life ahead of you, a lot of responsibility, a lot of uh, struggles and a lot of successes. And we just want to be a part of helping you prepare and be ready for that. So this is what this is all about, as well as redneck pool. So. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, help us to worship you, even though this isn't uh, a worship liturgy, but that we would ascribe to you great worth, that when someone's talking about you, that we would listen, that our hearts would be warmed and our interest peaked and our souls hungry and thirsting and that our story would demand more information, more understanding, more wisdom, more knowledge so that we can walk before you in extreme gratitude and great pleasure and live our lives in such a way that you are very pleased. Just like we would want to please any earthly father, help us to have the desire to please you, our Heavenly Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, I stayed up way, way too late last night. Uh, actually, I didn't go to bed until this morning. And, um, and it's other men and women, woman, one woman's fault not mine, that I was up that late. Um, so bear with me as I try to uh, stay in form. Last year, when you were here, you found out, because I told you during my lectures, that my family life growing up was not a happy one. For you who were here last year, you found out about that. I told you told you some stories about what I went through as a as a child and as a you know before a teen then mid teen and then uh, it was not idyllic it was not the kind of life that I certainly wanted for my children when I got married and had children my uh I don't want to go into all that but I'll tell you this that after I became a Christian at 17 and a half the world just opened up 
all, 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 so much of that pain and alienation and so much of that stress and so much of that, that fear was all basically taken away because I was, I, I found myself accepted by God. I found myself now a child of God. It was, I was no longer just a child of my parents. I was a child of God. And it was an amazing thing. But uh, when I became a Christian, troubles didn't end. I could tell you some stories, and maybe I'll tell you some of those stories next year, about some of the very trying and, and troublesome times that I went through as a Christian, as a young adult, and uh, even into adulthood. When we are going through those things, we want to know why. Or we wonder where God is. And we know that in Scripture, God loves us so much that he knows that we will go through things like that. And we also know from scriptural stories that God will allow and cause things to happen that we go through. Like Joseph. Hey, brothers, I had this dream about me ruling over you. Next thing he knows, he's in the pit. Right? You remember that story? And he hears them up, 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 up above ground while he's down below discussing how they might kill him. And then one faithful brother comes through and says, you know, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Like that's the, that's the bonus for that day. I'm not going to die. I'm going to be a slave to a foreign people. So when you're going through these things, you wonder where God is. You wonder what's going on and why it's going on. And it brings up something that I'm going to talk about today. And the way I'm going to do that is I want to talk about Job. You know that guy? Remember his story? Tell me how that started. Go ahead. Job chapter 1. How did this how did this whole story start happening? Yes, he wanted to go Satan wanted to go and make Job curse God because God was doing what? Blessing him but also protecting him but also what? Blessing him. But he was also bragging on him, wasn't he? Satan shows up, he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Right? That he fears me. What does fear mean? That Job is in, in covenant, right? So God says, sure, you go ahead and test him, Satan. You can't take his life, but you go ahead and test him, and you will see that he loves me not because of the way I blessed him, but because we, he and I, are in relationship. And so what does Satan do? Before he kills his children, that comes a little later. Right. The subway... The subway sub shops that he had all fail. 
I mean, that's the dynamic equivalent for today, right? His businesses fail because the Sabians and others come and take his livestock, goats and cows and giraffes and everything. It's all gone. Then what happens? Then he loses his children. Then what happens? He loses his he loses his health. Right? So Job is in a crucible and God gives us a story. And in this story he gives us a worst case scenario for someone who is in covenant with him, who fears him, and whom God himself has bragged on as there is no one that loves me and reveres me more than Job. Right? So God puts before all of us a story that is in the supercalifragilistic category. You're not going to find someone suffering more than Job, losing more than Job, because Job, of all men, loved God the most, right? So it's a, it's the, it is the example of crucible. It is the example of worst-case scenario. So what does Job want from God when this happens? He wants to know why. Now his friends show up, and what does his friends do? What? Curse God, right? Right. Well, yes, and you could answer some other things, but really, his friends show up to answer his question, why? Job, this is why. No, and they don't even agree. You know, no, Job, this is why. No, this is Job, this is why. But Job still wants to know why. Do you want to know why? I mean, in your own life, do you want to know why? If you don't want to know why right now, I guarantee you, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years from now, it could be... Later than that, you're going to want to know why. You really are. Your, your heart is going to be broken, and, you're, and there's just going to be no relief, and everything's going to be bad, and you're going to want to know why. Now, if you're sinning big time, if you're a big, fat sinner, that's why. Okay? But he wants to know why, and so basically, as the story of Job unfolds, he wants to meet God, doesn't he? He wants, to sh he wants God to show up and God to tell him why. That's the big thing in Job. And the book of Job is written because all of us have seasons of life that are like Job. Or days like Job. Or home lives like Job. And we want to know why. I mean, you may never have said this, but in your heart, in your soul, subconsciously at least, you're thinking, what is going on? Well, 
The book of Job is just simply genius. Because what happens in chapter 38? God shows up. That's pretty cool. I mean, there's so many people that want to meet God, so many people that want to talk to God, so many people want to say, hey, I've got some questions for you, God. And God shows up in Job 38. Finally, after dealing with all of his friends, and here's what God, God says. Chapter 38. Here it is. New King James Version. Job, I heard you wanted to talk to me. And so here I am. Here's a cup of coffee. And I know you've been going through a lot of stuff. It's been hard. And I'm here to field your questions now. So kind of let me know. What, what, what is it that you don't understand? And let me, let, me, let me give you reasons for this and all of that. Is that what's going on? God does this amazing thing. God shows up, and he is the one asking the questions. Now, we, when we get to this point, we need to see great grace of God. We need to see the great love of God. Because he says this, Who is this who darkens counsel? By words without knowledge. Speaking to Job, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. It's kind of reverse, isn't it? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Great poetics there, right? Not just creation, but glory. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come but no further, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on a form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you searched, have you walked in search of its depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. What would you do if you were Job? There you are. You're in a rubbish heap putting ashes on the boils on your body and scraping them with a piece of broken pottery from the, head of your, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You've lost your children. You've lost your wealth. The only comfort are these three guys saying, you must have sinned. You must have, you must have made God mad somehow. Right? 
And your wife, the last thing she said was, why don't you just curse God and die? That's not a good day. That was not a Kodak moment. That's not, you know, oh, let me show you the photo of the family. Oh, and here's my wife telling me to curse God and die. We got a picture of that. So you want to have an audience with God, and God shows up, and he puts you on the spot, and he asks you all of these questions. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where, it is, where, where is it at its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home. Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow? Have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what is light diffused over the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is none, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? Or from whom... For whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? Can you bind the cluster of Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? He just keeps going and going. What did Job do? Do you remember? What did he do? Covered his mouth. For 37 chapters, I want to talk to God. I want to ask him questions. I want to know why this is going on with me. God shows up. He goes, hmm. And you would too. So God's already telling you what to do before you have those arguments. I want to talk to God. I want to know what's going on. Here's the thing. When God, when God is asking Job all these questions, God is answering Job's questions. What does Job want to know? He wants to know why he lost his children. He wants to know why he lost his health. He wants to know why these guys are showing up and, 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 and accusing him of sin. He wants to know why um, the, uh, he lost all his wealth. He wants to know why. And when God shows up and says, do you know the path of the lightning bolt, Job? that God is answering Job's questions. Do you know where the treasury of the hailstones are that I, God, have put hailstones in this, in this storage locker and I'm reserving them for war? Do you know where those are? He's answering Job's question. What God is saying is Job, you're in covenant with me. I, I know you love me. And I just want you to know that as important as you are, you're only one part of my plan. You're an important part. You're a loved part. But your story, Job, what's going on with you? is incredibly important to me, and, I, and you have my attention. 
But your story is lost in my story. So when you're living out your story before God, you and I, if we love God, we're fine with that. We're fine with just being part of the story. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, essay that is titled On Stories, he talks about the fact that he hates character-driven stories. Have you read this essay? He hates character-driven stories. He, don't, he thinks that they are they're sensational. He thinks that they're for children, that they're immature, that, you know, if you take the characters out, there's no story. He says the great stories, the greatest stories, are those where there's already a story and that characters are introduced. He had a friend that was very good at that. You may have heard of him, last name Tolkien. That when you begin to read The, the Hobbit or you get, begin to read The Lord of the Rings, that every one of these characters are in a story that has already been unfolding for a long, long time. That there's already ruins that people like the characters that are present now, people like them used to be in these places. There's that search tower. There's those trolls, giant trolls, frozen in, wasn't it trolls? Frozen in stone, right? That the landscape is, is just littered with the history and the backstory of this story. And so whoever Tolkien introduces, and by the way, we're not sure if uh, Tolkien would have ever gotten Lord of the Rings done if it wasn't for Lewis, right? By his encouragement. And of course, if Lewis had listened to Tolkien, we would have never gotten the Chronicles of Narnia. Ir irony, irony. But here's the story and the characters See, the story is bigger than any character. It's larger than any character. And that is how it has to be. It really has to be that way because we need that immensity. We need that expanse. We need a context of understanding life that is cosmic. We need to see God is big, and he is so big, and he's got this great plan going on that we are honored and privileged and beside ourselves in gratitude that he has placed each one of us in his story. You get that? You're not the star. But God has placed you on the stage and you are so excited and so happy and so fulfilled that you have a part to play. And when we get that, it's easier for us to pledge allegiance to God. It's easier for us to go, I wonder what 
God's plan is for me today. Now, I know that if I'm not going to be pulling some kids out of a burning station wagon, you know, doing the hero thing, then I know that today I'm going to be honoring my parents. Today, uh, I'm, I might punch my brother, but it will be in love. It will not be in frustration. I know that if I turn on an electronic device to play games, that I'm not going to let this consume me. I'm not going to let it take up a lot of my time. Or if I'm Googling on the Internet and something catches my eye that I shouldn't follow that path, I won't follow that path. If someone comes up to me and says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You go, oh, wait a minute. What is this about? Or if I find myself at a wealthy man's table whose heart is not with me and he's trying to manipulate me into something else, I already know now what I need to do, right? And so we know that this is part of the st- This is why... The book of Job is there. The writer of the book of Job wants to get us to chapter 38, and he takes his time, and he lets us suffer with Job. And after a while, we get caught up in Job so much in the conversations, the dialogues in Job, like, yeah, why did God do this? And then God shows up and says, do you know who birthed the rain? Do you know how big the universe is? Were you there when it was mapped out? Did you hear the sons of glory sing on that day. This is so much bigger than you, Job, but Job, Job, you're such a part of it because you're in covenant with me and I've already bragged on you to the adversary and the enemy. Right? It's fantastic. Now, that's Job's story, and I hope that your story never gets too close to that, but it will get close at times. You're going to wonder what's going on. I already told you the answer. God has a plan, and he is doing something amazing, and you are part of it. So we understand that God's story is cosmic, and your story is only a part. Now, the point of God's story now, and what God is doing now, is the kingdom of his son. We're in the last days, right? You know that. After Pentecost, we've moved into the last days. And all of the history of mankind from when Genesis 1 has come forward and has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled. And now we find ourselves, after Jesus came, we are now in the last days. And in the last days, the whole thing The whole focus now is the kingdom of God. Now, I didn't know this. I had been a Christian for 15 years. I had studied the Bible. I had preached. uh, I had pastored a church. I had done a lot of lectures. I had traveled. I had done a lot of youth rallies and all this. I'd done a lot of stuff. And I'm sitting in seminary in a class called Acts and Gospels, or the Gospels and Acts. That's what it was. And I'm sitting there, and the very first day, the professor comes in, and he says, when Jesus showed up, he started by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And I went, bing, you know, the little light bulb and the little cloud above my head. For 15 years, I had thought about church. Church is important, but I never thought about kingdom. I never understood that that was the thing, that that was the thing now, that this is where the focus is, that it is all about the kingdom. What are the three things I told you I'd talk about? And kingdom. This is the kingdom talk. And we're almost done. The kingdom is the thing. When Jesus shows up, he preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Who's he talking to? Who's his audience? Is it the Philistines? Is he, is he preaching repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand to the Philistines? Yes or no? Is it, oh, listen to you, is it the Babylonians? No, it's the Jews. He's preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand to the church. To those who say they're in covenant with him. So he begins by preaching the kingdom. Then he teaches about the kingdom. All through the Gospels, he, talks, he gives parables about the kingdom. He says, he says uh, 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 takes a child in his arm. He says, of such is the kingdom of God, right? It's all about the kingdom. Then when he is resurrected, what does he do for 40 days? He teaches the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us, starts with the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But what is the all-inclusive conclusion to those who are blessed? For theirs is the kingdom, right? And then he tells us, now I want you to pray this way. Here's the pattern of prayer. Here is the big prayer. You pray, our Father who hallowed thy, thy, he tells them to focus on the kingdom. And then he says, now listen, I don't want you daily filled with anxiety. I don't want you always preoccupied with the daily necessities. I want you to focus on something else. Do, do, does God take care of the birds outside? Yeah, he takes care of the birds. Does God make the flowers of the field? What does this sound like when Jesus is saying that? Can you add an inch to your stature or a day to your life? What does that sound like? Come on. You just heard something like that. It sounds like Job 38, doesn't it? <laughs> Boy, you just got something that people in seminary don't get. Do you know of all the, all the Christians out there in the world, that if we, now that you know that, and we divided you by them, do you know that you are a high percentage of people that realize that now? That when Jesus is saying that, it sounds like what God said to Job in chapter 38. 
He says, I don't want you to be consumed. You know who, you know who is consumed with those things? You know who is anxious about those things and fearful of those things and, and stresses too much importance in those things? Who is that that does that? The unbelievers. But you're not an unbeliever. You're in covenant with me. And so I want your focus to be somewhere else. And where was that focus? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? So what is your mission? You're in covenant. You write out your story by living right, righteousness, and your focus is seeking first the kingdom of God. You see that? Isn't that wonderful that God gives us a target to hit, that we can hit, that he makes sure we can hit the mark right in the bullseye? We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does he say? Because we're in covenant with him and his children. Then what does he say right after that? And all these things will be added to you. Who's taking care of business? Who's watching out for you? God is. Now, the only way this is going to work is you are going to have to Make a decision daily. And here's the decision. You're going to have to lose your life. Essentially, that's what Job had to do. And that's essentially what Job did. I have no questions. God, I'm good. Sorry. Sorry to cancel this appointment with you. I don't want to be here anymore. I get it, right? You have to lose your life. Your life, though not in a vacuum and not in an empty space, you have to lose your life and your story in the expanse of the great story. You have to lose your anxieties and fears, and you need to give over to God all the trouble and trial and trauma in your life. You need to give that to him. You need to make it, you need to lose it in that area. Because you have this great cosmic plan, this great enormous. It's like it's like being uh, put an anchor put on your ankle and you're dropped in the deepest part of the sea. You're surrounded by the water, by the huge expanse of water. This is where you lose your life. You lose it. And just like if you don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and your height, and your days, the numbers of days that you're going to live with, what happens when you lose your life? Jesus says. You know? Yes, sir. You gain it. What was Job trying to do? When he wanted to ask God, he wanted to ask God why he lost his life. Why, he, why there is so much loss and so much trauma and so much trial and so much pain and so much suffering in his life. He wanted to know why. And by wanting to know why so desperately, he wasn't giving up his life. 
But when we give up our life, and this is the only way to find our life, we lose our life completely in his story. And when we lose our life completely in his story, the Bible says that we find it. Just a little illustration. Did I tell you last year about it's, um, I learned to not care where I sat? Did I tell you that story? Well, when I got, when I got converted at 17 and a half, I left Florida because I felt like God wanted me to be a minister. I left Florida and I went to Texas to Bible college, 1,200 miles away. I was scared to death. But I was a Christian, but I also I also was born again, but I still had a great inferiority complex. I I still felt like I uh, I was I was a nobody. And so I desperately wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be I wanted to have friends. And so I operated in my life a little bit there for a while like that. And then mostly, though, as a loner, I'd get alone away from everybody because I figured anybody wanted to be around me. But then, you know, I don't know. It's just God's grace. I came to realize that I just needed to give all of those desires over to God and just not be concerned about it. So two public, three public places in college where you sit down. One is the cafeteria, the other is the classroom, and the third one would be the chapel. And that's where you would sit down. And so, you know what? I decided I just got to give this up to God, and I'm just going to sit down. I don't care where I sit, and I don't care who sits by me. I mean... I don't know if you think sometimes when you sit down, I hope she sits next to me. Or I hope they sit next to me. Or should I just go over there and sit with them or with him? I don't know if you think that way. Yeah, you think that way. <laughs> and it's bad. I'm traveling and, you know, I, I get on the plane and I'm, when I'm single, I'm on the plane and I'm waiting to see who's going to sit by me, and, and you know, here comes a couple, and they pass, married couple, and here comes an old guy, and he passes, and then here comes this. <laughs> a cute girl. And I'm like, oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and she gets closer, and she's looking at the numbers, and I'm going, and I miss it by an aisle, one in front or back. And then this guy like this, <laughs> stoned or drunk, he, he, he goes, hey, he sits right down because it's his seat, sees the Bible. So, you know, loud enough for everyone, are you a preacher or something? <laughs> Just embarrassing. The whole flight, you know, four hours, got to talk to this guy. You desperately want these things. I just gave it up. And you know what? When I gave it up, and this is just a testimony thing here. When I gave it up, and I just gave it all to God, I'd sit down, and the, the, the worst person in the world, the, the, the social misfit, would sit next to me. And you know what I'd do? I'd move. No, I wouldn't move. 
he would sit he would sit next to me. Or maybe a girl or several girls I wasn't interested in would sit across from me. You know what I did? I just engaged. How are you? What's going on? How are the classes going? Oh, yeah, I've got problems with that class, too. What are, what are you doing? Got it? And just, and after a while, I mean, people could sense the fact that now you have given yourself over to God. They could see that. They could sense that. And soon, everyone that I ever wanted to sit with me did or would invite me to sit with them because I was a free man. It's a spiritual thing. It can be seen. And they'd say, hey, sit here. And then I was like, I got to know them. I said, no, nah, thanks. <laughs> I'll sit over here. Because now you're discerning. And now you're with good people. I was desperately trying to, and this is just one little teeny illustration. I was desperately trying to save my life. But I only got it when I let it go. And so the kingdom is the thing. Seeking first the kingdom, praying that God's will be done. And you know when God's will is done? It's not always happy day for you and me, is it? When we say, thy will be done, and we really mean that, we want your will to be done on earth right here as it is in heaven. Well, you know, in heaven it's all done God's way, right? <laughs> right? We want that here. That means stuff is going to happen to us. We're going to go through things. We're going to be put in some binds. But if we really want to understand what being in covenant is, it means that we belong to God, and what also belongs to God is our fears, our pain, our trouble, our desires. It all belongs to him. And then we say, Lord, what part do you want me to play in the story with my lines? What are my lines? Well, it's good that God gives us a script, right? What's the script? It's called scripture. Gives us our lines and we play our parts. And we're fine with that because it's such a privilege. And then we seek first the kingdom. Here's where the kingdom is. The kingdom's everywhere, but the main place of the kingdom, main big manifestation of the kingdom, goes back to the church. And it's not your parents' church only. It's your church. You are the church. And you need to go back home. And you need to live like you're in covenant. And love it. And you need to be determined to write your story. Every day. And you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. This is how they're added to you. This is your calling because you know what you are? You're Christians. And you are the Gen Next Christians. You are going to be the parents. You're going to be the adults of the church. And I hope that your generation just tears it up.
I hope your generation makes us look lame. I hope that your generation is one that city that's set on a hill whose light can't be hidden is just so incredibly brilliant. Only God can do that. And only and God will only do that with people who are surrendered to him. So find your lives, my brothers and sisters, by losing it. Okay? Committed? Going to do it? You going to think about it? Are you going to think about it? You're thinking about it? Are you going to do it? Yes. I don't believe you. Are you going to do it? Yes. Do you think this, that if I keep on doing it, you get enough volume that you'll all do it? Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind pep rallies, just as long as when you leave the rally, there's still pep. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, bless us all with your grace. Remind us of these things that are being, being taught here by Pastor Duane and myself. Help the wealth of what we're trying to share be something that each person here treasures as well as ourselves. Help us, Lord, to take it. Take this currency and spend our lives. For your honor and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.